Hello, and welcome to Artfully Told, where we share true stories about meaningful encounters with art. I think artists help people have different perspectives on every aspect of life. All I can do is put my part out into the world. It doesn't have to be perfect the first time. It doesn't have to be perfect ever, really. I mean, as long as you, you're enjoying doing it and you're trying your best, that can be good enough. Art is something that you can experience with your senses and that you just experience as, as so beautiful. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Artfully Told. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I am so very thrilled to have as my guest today the absolutely lovely Sherry Augustine. She is a dancer, a pianist, a yoga instructor, a dance instructor, a ballroom dancer. I could go on and on and on, and most recently has been really deep diving into another area of art, which is sewing, and I'm just so excited because Sherry just has such a multitude of interaction with art all the time and is very passionate about it. So thank you so much for being here, Sherry. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. (laughs) Well, I would Mm -hmm. love if you wouldn't mind sharing with us just a little bit about maybe, you know, yourself and kind of how you got started in all of this. Well, I think I've always wanted to dance. I remember growing up, the the neighbor girl that I rode the bus with, she, one day a week, she didn't ride the bus because she stayed in town to take a ballet class. And I was always so envious of that. I didn't take ballet when I was growing up. My first ballet class was when I was 28 years old. (laughs) So I started quite late for that type of dance, but I did square dancing and baton twirling growing up and piano playing. And of course we did 4-H. So I learned about sewing and crocheting and that sort of thing. So when I became an adult, that was when I decided to try some dancing. And I think my first real love of dance came when I learned how to do country Western dancing course I don't know if I should share it but I was 19 years old and I was going into a bar to country western dance (laughs) underage but you know how that is back then you know so then that led to a friend of mine was learning how to do ballroom dancing and so we would go I lived in Junction City which is two hours west of Kansas City so once a week we would drive On Tuesday nights, we drove to Topeka because they had a dance class there that was ballroom. And so I started learning how to do ballroom dancing. And then I started doing competition after I met Pro-Am dance teacher who trained me for dance competition. And it was really because of that dancing that led me to want to move to Kansas City where I would be closer to my dance lessons because I was driving two hours to come to Kansas City from Junction City and take dance lessons and then drive two hours back home. Wow. So that's kind of how that all started. Yeah. Talk about commitment. Oh my word. You are amazing. (laughs) I can't believe you were driving that much for that. That's awesome. (laughs) So, okay. So 
so many gems to unpack on all that. That was so fun. So, so you didn't take your first ballet class until you were 28. I did not know that. Wow. And I had just moved to Kansas City. I didn't know where anything was in Kansas City except for the place that I worked and a few different dance studios. And that's about it. <laughs> so if you wanted to give me directions, you had to give me directions from either where I worked or from a dance studio. <laughs> Go this way, on the way to this or that dance studio. <laughs> I just decided I was going to, I had always wanted to take ballet. And so I just decided I was going to do it. Wow. So that's awesome. It was a dance works conservatory. And so, you know, you paid a monthly fee. So you had four classes for one fee and it was an adult class, but my second class there, I couldn't make it. So I needed to do a makeup class. You know, the only available makeup class to do was with young kids. (laughs) So my my second ballet class, I was in class with a bunch of probably six-year-old girls. Mm-hmm. And so I think they knew a whole lot more than I did about ballet. And they just kept looking at me like, who are you and oh. why are you in here? <laughs> well, I feel like that takes a lot of bravery. I mean, just in general, whenever you start something new, that's I think for most of us, at least, that's a whole nother level that you have to kind of psych yourself up to. But then, oh my gosh, but then if you're doing it with six-year-olds, yeah, that would that yeah. would be challenging. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my word. So, but you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting because that experience combined with, of course, your background in ballroom and your background in the other art forms as well is that you've really been able to be so well-rounded. I mean, do you think that that has helped like having so many different genres essentially that you've, that you've worked in and dabbled in whatever, do you think that that's kind of impacted the way that you approach maybe even teaching or your own performing or anything like that? I think it definitely helps because, you know, certain genres will focus on certain things and then other genres focus on other things. And so you can kind of bring that together and pass it on to students, you know, all your different experiences just giving that insight from, you know, ballet and modern, I can take things that I know from that or even from yoga and give certain aspects of it to my ballroom or country students. So I think that definitely helps. And then the intricacies of ballroom dancing, you're moving not just for one person, but essentially it's two people becoming one unit. And so it it makes it a little bit different than other styles of dance, but it can still be beneficial to to take that style of dance, information from that style of dance and apply it to other styles of dance, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that brings a unique perspective that you can share with, well, not only for your own self because I know you're still actively dancing yourself but but also for your students I think that's really interesting so 
with the ballroom dance, I know, <laughs> our listeners don't know, but that you are actually an active competitor. Do you have any experiences or how did you get into that in the first place? Because it, did it start just for fun, you know, at parties or <laughs> bars <laughs> and then kind of morphed into a more competitive approach or, or how did that all come about? Well, I fell in love with it the first time when I started driving from Junction City to Topeka. And so I talked to my the teacher, the instructor from that class, and she she knew I wanted to start doing competition. She knew I wanted to take private lessons, so she hooked me up with someone in Topeka. But then I said I wanted to compete, and so the person in Topeka wasn't registered as a pro-am teacher. So the instructor of the class then said she was going to drive to Kansas City and would I like to go? And I said, yes. And so that's where I met my registered pro-am teacher. And so I took a lesson with him and he was getting ready to compete. No, actually, I competed with a person in Topeka first just for one competition. And then I started going to coming to Kansas City. And when I met my teacher here in Kansas City, he was getting ready to do a competition. And we had two two-hour private lessons. And then we went and competed, I think, in something like, I don't know, 15 different dances. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> yeah. But the good thing... I mean, with me being the follower and him being the leader, I I don't think that would be possible if it was the other way around. Because as a follower, of course, there are following skills that you have to acquire. But as a follower, you don't have to think of what steps you're going to be leading. You know what I mean? Yeah, basically, like... You don't have to, on the spot, come up with, okay, now we're going to do this turn. Now we're going to do this yes. whatever. You don't have to make a plan as to what you're doing. And, of course, he already had routines ready. And so it was really just making sure that I could follow everything that he was doing. And so we went and competed and had a good time. <laughs> wow. That is an incredible story. <laughs> You you are so brave. I think I would have been like, ha, 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 yeah, no, no, thanks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, a lot of pre-competition jitters. <laughs> yes, no kidding. So, okay, for those of us who aren't involved in that world, and that includes myself, can you tell us a little bit about the difference? You had mentioned a couple times of, you know, pro-am, and I'm not familiar with that term versus having someone who's just an instructor. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about that? So an instructor is considered a pro, you know, if they are making money on it and it's their livelihood, they are considered a pro. And so whoever they teach, whatever student they teach who doesn't um, have the livelihood of dance as a way to make a living, then they are considered to be amateur. And so you match up the instructor with the student. And if the, if the professional is a registered professional with NDCA, you have to be registered with them either as a pro-am teacher 
and currently they're requiring amateurs to be registered but you can also be registered as an adjudicator as a professional dancer who dances with another professional dancer so there's several different categories that you can be registered for and so he at the time was registered as a pro am teacher he was also registered to dance with his professional partner which at the time was his wife so that's why we were able to compete together versus the other gentleman in in Topeka wasn't able to okay okay interesting well that that makes mm-hmm. sense they're trying to keep everything kind of regulated to an extent i guess so yeah awesome So then you also are a yoga instructor. So when did your interest in yoga start emerging? Well, when I was, I went to KU for my dance degree. And it was not long after that, I think I started kind of looking at yoga. And I remember thinking how how boring it was. You know, it was so slow moving, whereas dancing at KU, everything is on the go, on the go. So other forms of dance, everything is constantly moving. You're not thinking about breathing. I mean, sometimes you do, but not as much as in yoga, you just hold everything. And of course, then I learned there's different styles of yoga and there's a whole lot of different layers of yoga. But I started thinking about it, I think I was certified in, I want to say 2013. So that would have been 10 years after I finished my degree in dance at KU. But I just, you know, was looking for other avenues of income and to be able to still use movement in the body and to be able to share that with other people. And so I I just decided, okay, I'm going to go get certified in yoga. Having not really ever taken a yoga class. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I once I signed up to do the 200-hour certification, I found this place in Olathe called Darling Yoga. And it's two sisters that have a yoga studio, very good yoga studio. They had an introductory rate of $20 for two weeks unlimited yoga. And so I said, I'll take it. (laughs) So I went there and I decided I was going to really make it worth my money. (laughs) That two weeks and spending $20, (laughs) I decided I was going to take 20 yoga classes. Oh, wow. (laughs) And... I spent 27 hours doing yoga in two weeks. <laughs> wow. And let me tell you, it was a lot harder than what I had originally thought. <laughs> so that was sort of my introduction to yoga. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, way to dive right in there. <laughs> awesome. So, okay. My goodness. And then you're also a pianist and a piano teacher. And you said, if I'm not mistaken, that you'd you'd been doing that for since childhood? I started playing the piano when I was five. 
And so I just took lessons. I was kind of picking around on the piano and, you know, we'd come home from church and I would just go downstairs to the piano and start playing the songs that I had heard in church. And so my parents thought it would be a good idea to to piano lessons. Yeah. So they started me learning how to play the piano at five. And I was very, very shy growing up. And I remember telling my mom after a couple of years of piano that I didn't really like it and I didn't want to continue. And so my mother, a very smart woman, said, she used my shyness against me. She said, okay, if you want to quit, then you'll have to tell your teacher. Oh. And I never could get over my shyness and tell my teacher that I wanted to quit. So <laughs> I continued on. <laughs> that was very clever. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, and probably now, you know, having those skills is so valuable and being able to teach them to others. So I I guess it, it, it all worked out in the end. <laughs> it all worked out in the end. And I feel like, I, you know, there are people that just have music in them and other people that it's really hard to get an understanding because it just isn't, you know, where their gifts lie. They have everyone so different and people shine in one area, maybe not in another area. And I, I feel like that's one of the gifts that I was given is feeling and understanding music. And it, it sort of comes relatively easy for me by comparison, you know, watching other people and their growth and struggles in it. So I feel like it's kind of a gift that was given to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think so too. I think your understanding of music has probably allowed you to thrive in such a wide variety of styles of dance too, because it is so different counting a waltz than a, I don't know, swing than something else. And those are just two examples, but I'm just thinking, you know, your ability to to connect with music has probably really helped all the forms of dance that you've embarked on. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So one really fun random fact that I happen to know about (laughs) Sherry is that (laughs) she participates in this challenge. Is it like twice a year? You'll have to chime in here in a minute, but she does this amazing challenge where (laughs) is it the worldwide splitters? Did I get that right? Yes, it's the Worldwide Splitters Network, and I don't even know who put me into this group on Facebook. I mean, I don't even know who to thank for putting me into it. <laughs> Suddenly, I was in this group, and I was I looked at it, and I thought, what in the heck is this? <laughs> this lady from Australia is the founder of it, and she's in her 70s, and she has spent her life as a contortionist, Whoa! and she still does performances as a contortionist. As far as I know, she still does it. Wow. But she founded this group, and there are two 60-day challenges every year. And since the start of it, she's broken it up between the adult group and the youth group. 
but she gives really good advice as far as alignment. She's very good about encouraging you. So I've learned a lot from being in this group. And I feel like I've had a lot of growth and a lot of things that I can pass on to other people who are interested in flexibility. They will also have, besides the two 60-day challenges, they also have many challenges in between if you're not quite ready to go the full 60 days doing splits every day. <laughs> so they have a 30-day back flexibility challenge and a 30-day mini splits challenge. So for the splits, you do your stretching and splitting five days a week with two rest days. For the back flexibility challenge, they do three or four days a week for stretching and warming up your back and then doing the poses that are required. Wow. And then you have to post the required pictures in an album on this Facebook page. Only <laughs> dedicated splitters. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's amazing. So I ended up with two of the gold, what's it called? Now I can't even think. Gold standard award winners. So the first time I was notified that I was, I was in the top 10 a couple of years ago and I ended up placing sixth. And then uh, I think it was last year or the year before, I was contacted by this lady in Australia that started it. And she was saying a few things and kind of leading up to, I was in the top three. And then pretty soon she said a few more things. And pretty soon she broke the news to me that we have chosen you as the gold standard award winner. Wow. And I just totally was was just amazed because there's so many really amazing splitters on the page. How exciting. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Oh, yeah. So I know, you know, this year has been a challenge, to put it mildly, for many, many people. But artists especially, I think, have really had to either pause or pivot or any number of things. And so... How has this kind of impacted you and then maybe what other kinds of exciting things, you know, has emerged? Well, because everything I do is face to face and not really something that I prefer to do on, you know, online, I did not know what I was going to do. And when I first heard about the lockdown, I called up my dad, who, by the way, is, was a round dancer. He and his wife were known across the country as round dance instructors. And so they had, you know, a, a place in their basement where they would do dancing. And But I called him up and I said, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I just started crying because I didn't know. Yeah. Any other time, if if I'm low on cash, if I need to make more money, I just work harder. And that's how you do things. You just, you find something else to do. You figure out a way to make more money to be able to, you know, take care of your financial responsibilities. And because we're in a position where 
we definitely need to have an income. My husband had a stroke four years ago, and so he wasn't working for a couple of years. And so it put us kind of in a bad place financially. And I was trying to make ends meet and keep on doing things and keep on doing things. He's back to work part time. But that's really after having that hardship, we're just not in a place financially to to be able to just stay home. Right. And so I was talking to my dad on the phone and I just started crying. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no idea. I'm at a loss. Any other time, if I need something, I just work harder. I go find a job. Everything I do is face-to-face. Right. And so I just kind of took a deep breath and, and okay, this is okay. I'm going to clean my house. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to walk every day. I'm getting outside. This is okay. (laughs) Well, then, you know, the mask mandate was starting to come into being. And I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to find a good mask pattern and make a couple of masks and send it to my daughters. My youngest daughter is now a nurse. She was going to nursing school. And so I made a couple of masks for her and I made a couple of masks for my daughter in Colorado and my sister who was in Topeka. And so I posted pictures of these masks on Facebook. And before I knew it, I was just swamped with orders for masks. And so I just started, I became a full-time mask maker for, you know, a month and a half. (laughs) So I was sitting at the sewing machine every single day just trying to keep up on my mask orders. And I would send them, you know, I sent some to Florida. I sent some to the East Coast. I sent some to the West Coast. I sent some, you know, up North. I sent them all over the place as well as people here in Kansas City. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Are you still doing that or is it kind of slowed down a little bit or how has that all worked out? It has slowed down a lot. I've had a few people because they know that this is going to go on for a little while. I had a lady that bought some Christmas fabric and she said, well, I'm going to need some masks that go with the Christmas holiday. Will you make some if I send you the fabric? And yes, of course. (laughs) But I have one order right now, but I haven't made masks for a while. So it's kind of, it was high demand for a while. And now it's just kind of here and there. So, yeah, that makes I'm sense. Doing it. If, if anyone wants to, you know, have mask made, I'm ha- happy to do it. But it's no longer full time. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah. Like she said before, the recording started is sort of like get up in the morning, sit at your sewing machine <laughs> all day, go to bed, do it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But I, I was very grateful for the work. Yes. You know, the good world always provides and and I'm always amazed at what he sends my way. So, <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Definitely a blessing. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all those stories that is so fun. <laughs> I loved hearing about all the different things that, you know, you're a part of and how that came about and that's just really really cool. So, I have three questions that I always like to ask my guests if that's okay with you. 
Okay. So the first question is, how do you personally define art or what is art to you? I think it's different for every person. It's a way of using your creativity to allow your feelings to be put out there without, sometimes you can't say what your feelings are. And so it's a way of allowing your feelings to come out for you. Yeah. Or it it can be putting a message out and everyone might take that message in differently because we all look at art differently and that's okay. Yeah. Perfect. And that's the thing about art is that it is different for everyone from the artist to the person who is looking at the art. And that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And so what do you think is the most important role of an artist? I don't know, generally speaking, but for me... I enjoy sharing things with people to hopefully make an impact on them or make a difference in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one way or the other, whether it is looking at things from a different perspective or just appreciating the beauty, feeling the music or feeling the movement. When I was doing, I did liturgical dancing for a while. And when I did that, liturgical dancing is dancing in church. And it was always my prayer that the spirit moving in me would move the spirit in the person who was watching. Yeah. So that's kind of, I like to have an impact on people by sharing my art. Perfect. That's beautiful. And then... My final question, and I'll kind of define my terms a little, a little bit, but do you think that art should be inclusive or exclusive? And what I mean by that is inclusive, referring to an artist who puts his work out there and provides some context behind that, whether that's you know something as simple as a title that kind of describes it or whether that's a series of program notes or a backstory or something like that. Versus exclusive, referring to an artist who puts their art out into the world but doesn't provide context behind it. So then it's kind of solely up to the viewer to decide what's going on. Personally, as a viewer, well, and as an artist too, I think there's value on both sides. But as a viewer, I would prefer to have the backstory, and whether or not my take on the art is still the same as the person who has created the art. It may or may not be, but I just like to have that background for my own understanding and to to try to see more clearly where the artist is coming from. But on the other hand, You might look at a piece that's out there, and if you have no context, then it can either say something to you or it might not say something to you. But it may or may not be the same as the intended 
you know, voice of the artist. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's really preference. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I like asking these questions because it is subjective and the answers are subjective too, because it's art, <laughs> which is so fun. Yeah. That's, that's so special about it. So. so my piano student that I had today, we were talking about artistic liberty. And so I said, when you are, because there was a correction I made for him and he's an older gentleman. I made the correction and he kind of halfway joked that it was his artistic liberty. And I said, well, since we are at piano lessons, we're not going to have artistic liberty. We're going to do what the music says as a, a learning tool. Sure. But when you are in front of an audience and you are entertaining an audience, you can have all the artistic liberty that you would like to have. Yes, I like that a lot. I, I love that perspective. Yeah, because you have to start with a technique. I, I often tell my students the same, very similar kind of thing is, let's start with the, all the technique that you, you need to know, and let's learn artistry basics. And then when you mm -hmm. get to a certain level, that's when it becomes super fun, when you can make it your own. But you have to have that base first. <laughs> different layers to it you know you you learn this part of it and then you learn this part of it and you just keep on stacking it on top and then at the end once you have solidified all the lower layers then you can make it your own and really put the emotion into it I have another couple of students who they're working on the rumba and every week when I work with them they keep saying to me, I want to do it perfectly. And I said, there is no such thing as perfect. <laughs> That's the beauty of art is that there is never perfection with me or if anybody else agrees with me. But that's just what I say is that there isn't perfection, but there is beauty in the imperfection. Ooh, I love that. Yes. <laughs> so on board. No, I agree with you. There's you will never be able to achieve a level of perfection and exactly like you said, but there is so much beauty in the imperfection. So it makes us human. Yeah. That's what makes us relate to each other. So yes. love it. Oh, that was very insightful. Thank you. <laughs> well, if any of our listeners are interested in connecting with you, either for lessons or masks or whatever, is there a way for them to do that? Yes. So we were talking about the, the pro-am information from before. And so at that time, I was the amateur side of the pro-am, but now I'm the professional side of the pro-am and I am registered with NDCA. I take students to competition for both country western partner dancing, ballroom partner dancing, and most recently, I have a couple of titles for competition line dancing. So I do all sorts of training for, you know, the partner dancing, the line dancing. And so any of that is available if you are interested in contacting me. You can call or text at 785-307-2294. Or I have an email address Sherry at WaltersDanceCenter.com. 
And so I do mostly private lessons or sometimes people have hired me for workshops or classes that's outside of the studio. Perfect. Awesome. Yes. And for anyone listening who is interested in those kinds of lessons, Sherry is awesome. She is definitely your gal to learn from the best, but also learn from somebody who's just such a nice, encouraging person. You will definitely feel validated and, you know, (laughs) basically... If you have nerves about trying anything, whether that's piano or ballroom or ballet or yoga, she would be the person to go to. (laughs) And Sherry, so thank you again so very much for being on today's episode. I really, really appreciate it. And I just want you to know that, again, I, I have the privilege of having, you know, watched a little bit of your journey, worked a little bit with you. And I just know that you do make an impact on people's lives and you do add so much beauty to the world through your art. And so I just want to say thank you for that. And thank you for being on this episode. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Awesome. And thank you so much to all of our listeners who've listened to this episode and If you're feeling as inspired as I am, I would love if you would share this with a friend or two, and we will catch you next time. If you have a story to share with us, we would love that so much. And I hope your day has been artfully told. Hey, Artfully Told listeners, I'm excited to share with you about Audible. As a podcast listener yourself, you already know how great it is to listen to something while you're driving or doing dishes or whatever it is. Audible has thousands of titles of audiobooks as well as podcasts and other cool things, and they're offering a free audiobook to Artfully Told listeners when you sign up for a free trial membership. You'll have 30 days to decide if Audible is right for you, and you can cancel at any time without being charged and still keep your free audiobook. Sign up for your free trial and audiobook at www.audibletrial.com slash artfullytold. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com slash artfully told. Thanks, artfully told listeners.